we're all on comics creator time, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like, you have friends, with, you're friends with people, and you see them once a year, and it's like, it doesn't feel like it's been a whole year, because you're busy drawing the rest of the you time. Just, you just check in with each other at Planet Con. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That so, one comic convention that's always perpetually got the same people hanging out at it. What a <laughs> terrible planet. <laughs> Why do we live, we're, we're not on that planet now. It's good we get breaks from living on that planet. Welcome to the Trade Waiters. Uh, today's episode of the Trade Waiters will cover Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. But before we go any further, we first have to have a spoiler warning. It's just going to be Jeff, <laughs> just Jeff every time now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a good sound. I for hate this. that part so much. <laughs> Sorry. I hate it. <laughs> We should have a sound effect of like a duck or something. If you bring an actual audio clip in, we can. You don't use need that. to. You just sen- could send it to me. What about a goat? Okay. We gotta- <laughs> oh God, why? <laughs> What's wrong with my goat sound? Mm, you wanted something thing. different. Mm, mm. <laughs> okay. Anyways, you have been appropriately warned. I think we, warned we just need a Kathleen disapproval noise. <laughs> 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 um. You just need to figure out the sound that you make when you hold your head and shake it in disapproval. (laughs) If you have not yet read Nimona, then I recommend you do before you listen, because we will tell you what happens in this book. Uh, And then we're going to have our character-revealing question. I'm going to open my envelope now. Uh, Today's character-revealing question is... Who is your favorite villain character that you have written? Written? Yes. Ooh. We are all comics creators. Okay. We have done stories well, which have easy non-protagonists. So easy. Okay, so Jeff, easy. who is your favorite villain? Uh, Ozzy Joe. Teaching us <laughs> in Japan. Who is Ozzy Joe? Um, so Ozzy Joe is a composite of every obnoxious Australian I ever interacted with in Japan. <laughs> And he works at uh, the same school as one of the Jameses in teaching us in Japan. And he's horrible. <laughs> he's the worst person. He's sexist. He's racist. He shouldn't be teaching. Uh, he's got a back tattoo that he thinks is really cool. We worked really hard to make sure that he had mistranslated Japanese characters on his back tattoo. <laughs> um, and uh, every time I write him, he's just horrible. You can, there's you can't there's nothing there's nothing you can't say with Ozzy Joe because he is awful, <laughs> and it's so much fun. <laughs> okay, that was Jeff Ellis. <laughs> Wait, uh, sorry, I keep forgetting to introduce myself. Eh. We're, we're in episode twelve. By, by now, people know who we are. I think. Right. Hopefully, unless this, this is your first episode. Welcome, new listeners. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm the one that forgets to introduce himself all the time. Not the only one. Fair. <laughs> Speaking of, Angela. Uh, I have to go next. Uh, my name is Angela. I've written a lot of works, and not all of them are finished and published. So a lot of what I work is a lot of what I write is autobio. So I guess like, what is the villain in my autobio? Is it ennui? Is it like? <laughs> <laughs> That's depression? deep. That's um, very deep. The, actually, the psychotic squirrel. I could say ah. probably my most popular villain. Definitely, which is this uh, this 
jerk of a squirrel that shows up and explodes originally. In their original form, it would just explode. But uh, generally just mucks things up. So, Psycho Squirrel. Uh, I <laughs> thought you were going to say the rain cloud. That's not technically a villain. Cloudsy is kind of a, it's a neutral character. And he's been cast as a villain by the city of Vancouver, but he's not a villain in That's true. Uh, unless you're Jonathan Dalton? It's <laughs> a different, it's actually a different okay. Cloudsy. Is There's it? two Cloudsies. It's an AU Cloudsy. Oh, that, oh. that should have been, that should have been my favorite villain to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm Kathleen. Um, I don't really write things that have a strict villain, I don't think. Yeah, I guess, I mean, my next thing has a villain in it, but I don't want to talk about it, because it's a is spoiler, a, but I like that. Is there like a them. villain in Last Night at Wormwood High? Not really. Like, there's, I guess, like, Angela McIntosh is, like, sort of a villain, but not really, because she cursed the school. She uh, fulfills the role of a villain. Yeah, I guess. I she's really not like a bad her. person, necessarily. No, she's not a bad person. I like her and, and most Blair's... villains aren't, if you examine them closely. Mm. And they certainly don't generally see themselves as being bad people. Yeah. If they're well written. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like I, I don't McIntosh. like... I don't know. I, pardon me? I like Angela McIntosh. Yeah, Angela McIntosh is like my fave character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and even though I wrote this question, I don't know who I'm going to pick. What about Nat Fisher? Nat Fisher is not in a comic that you can read yet. Aww. I do very much like Nat Fisher, though. She's <laughs> a jerk. Uh, and not only is she a jerk, she has a character arc, which I really, really like, and is lots of fun, which you will not get to read for a long time. What about... Um, Jerking us around here. Okay, all right, well, now I'm stuck with Nat Fisher. I'm going to tell you who Nat Fisher is. Uh, Nat Fisher is going to be a character in my forthcoming comic, Phobos and Demos. Uh, she is a uh, girl who goes to the main character's high school and is mean, and uh, that pretty much sums it up, mean teenage girl, um, who has, like, just is generally awful to everybody, including her friends. Uh, and she has a poor definition, poor distinction between who is actually her friend and who is not, um, which gets fun later on. But uh, that's all I can say about her right now. And it's really fun to say Nat Fisher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone in uh, this story has an East London accent, so... That's also fun. I'm so excited. Hurry up and draw it, John. I'm trying. I'm doing it very fast. What are you even doing? Pressure's on, John. Working. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Enough about us. Let's talk about Nimona. Okay. Should I start with the bio? Sure. Okay. Um, This is written by Noel Stevenson, um, and drawn by Noel Stevenson. Um, And in addition to this book, she's also the one of the co-creators and writers of um, The Lumberjanes, uh, which is a series from Boom, and she has written from Marvel and DC. She wrote for Thor, and she's also writing the new Runaways, mm. uh, I think. And she also writes for Disney's Wander Over Yonder. Um, this book won the Slate Cartoonist Studio Prize for Best Webcomic in 2012. She's been nominated for a Harvey Award, and Lumberjanes walked away from the Eisners with Best New Series and Best Publication for Teens. So she's kind of a force to be reckoned with. And she's super young. Oh my god, she's so young. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Very accomplished, and... uh, How old is she? Like, 23 or 24, I think. 
Oh, that's not... I was, like, reading an interview. That's not nearly as staggering as it sounded. So that's good. <laughs> but at this point, no, like, that's a uh, lot to accomplish yeah. by 23. Yeah. No, no, that's like, great. I, I can think of other people who started their comics careers, like, in high school. No, but that's... But they like, hadn't I, won Harvey Awards I, in high school. I, I was imagining you were going to tell me she was, like, 18 or 19, <laughs> and I was going to be like, oh, my God. Oh, she's also interesting, because she kind of um, came out of, like... Tumblr mm-hmm. and uh, all that. Like I've been following her work for years and years. She used to do these like fun little sort of hipster fan drawings of Lord of the Rings. It was like this hmm. alternate universe if they were like hippies on a road trip. <laughs> um, and like she has some good Hunger Games little little comics and stuff. But her original work, like Nimona, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my opinion, uh, this book is. Uh, it originally ran online as a webcomic, um, and it is about a shape-shifting girl named Nimona who shows up on the doorstep of this realm's greatest villain, Ballister Blackheart, and she annoys him into letting her be his assistant and help him uh, try to destroy his old rival Goldenloin and um, the institution, which is this corrupt um, sort of organization that runs the kingdom. However, Nimona kind of spirals out of control, leaving a wake of destruction behind her, and Blackheart has to find out who or what she is, uh, and help her before the institution captures her and tries to use her powers to their own nefarious ends. Um, So it's funny and heartbreaking and a little bit gay, and it's a story of friendship, betrayal, and corrupt government set in a futuristic medieval society. Mm Mm-hmm. Well put. So what do you guys think of the book? Obviously, I like it a lot. (laughs) A lot, a lot, a lot. I love this book. I think this is a great book. I... Was a little skeptical when I started it, but it really grew on me very quickly, and I was not surprised to read at the end that it was a re- web comic at the beginning because it totally has that feel of a web comic where the first few pages almost feel like little one-page gags, like they're sort of ending on a punchline, and then eventually that gets abandoned and it just becomes like a story, and then the story actually starts to get depth and. Yeah, it just really grew in complexity. And uh, and the world, I love this world. Like, it's a fantasy world, but then they also have, like, CNN News and, <laughs> like, an ins- a science institute, but they also have sword and sorcery. Like, it's so fun. Yeah, the, like, a combination of science and magic in this book is really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky combination to pull off, and I, I feel like the way that this book is done where it doesn't dwell on that it just puts this stuff there on the table like here you go this is what the world is like with no explanation whatsoever i appreciated that oh, that was I fun i love that i hate uh, needless exposition <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. i also really like this book uh again like jeff i was uh kind of skeptical at the start uh it felt at the start like it was kind of presenting a bunch of fantasy tropes, and it was going to do the thing where, here's some fantasy tropes, I'm going to subvert them. Because I've seen that in other comics, uh, where it starts out with that premise, but it doesn't really go anywhere with it, but mm-hmm. this definitely went somewhere. Yeah, There's a lot of depth to these characters. Even, like, throughout the whole story, you're just learning about the characters. Even even when you think you know things, then you find out more. Yeah. And I that, the character-driven storytelling was totally worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think the first... After the first two pages, I made a note where I'm like, reads like a Kate Beaton comic, where I sort of felt like it was just like, oh, it's somebody doing one-page jokes about the fantasy genre instead of about history. But then immediately you start to 
it starts to extend into like a two-page sequence, and there's a flashback, and yeah, it really started to grow. Like by about page five, even it's already starting to get more complex. Yeah. And like Ballister's story, even is really interesting because by page five, you find out that he used to train with Golden Loin, and that he potentially could have been like a knight's guard, but then he lost his arm in this joust, and then he had to be the villain. And it's in this this weird thing of this world where there's an institute that seems to run things, and they decide, like, you're going to be the hero, and you're going to be the villain, and that's the way things are going to work. We're going to have a villain, and we're going to have a hero, because that's just the way things are. And so Ballister, in a way, is almost like a reluctant villain. Like, he's being a villain because that's his role. It's not really because he wants to be evil. Yeah, it's very strange. And so I have kind of the same experience as you two, where I liked this book a lot more when it became a book and stopped being a webcomic. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because I first came to this work when it was a webcomic, and I was following it for a while, and I liked it, but then I kind of dropped off. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I didn't quite catch it when it started to pick back up again. But uh, one of the things that bothered me uh, very early on in this work is they define it as chapters, which makes sense when you're reading it as a webcomic, right? Mm. You have chapter one, and it's about two pages, and then you might have to wait like a month or two, and then chapter two will show up. But when you're reading it collected and there's only really two or three pages, the, the breaks seem kind of arbitrary, and it's like, I don't need this huge header of, like, it's chapter three. Like, this isn't actually mm. big enough to constitute chapter three. But over time, the story really, really drew me in. Uh, and the pacing got a lot, lot better and a lot more interesting. And towards the end, I was uh, I was really happy. I felt it was really satisfying. There were a few questions, like, you guys, you prefer to have, you know, these are just kind of the facts about the world, and I, I like that it's not explained. For me, there's, like, a few questions where it's like, ah, it's just, it's just didn't go anywhere. Like, what what is the Institute? <laughs> like, what are they <laughs> doing? This world feels like it's a Ren fair, but why? You know, like, <laughs> it's very strange. And I mean it's a Ren fair. Like, like you said, the Institute runs things, and they declare that this must be a hero, and this must be a villain. It feels like they're told to play this medieval setting for no reason. Like, right. they're just like, we're building this this domed world where mm. we're all in medieval times. Right. <laughs> Ye yeah, old. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess, like, um, I mean... It, it, I, I have no explanations to offer, and I think if you're going to, like, approach it in that way, like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I think I read this as a fantasy, but it was using modern trappings to kind of tell the narrative. So, mm -hmm. like, instead of having, like, a town crier, which would be accurate to, like, the time period, they just have, like, a newscast with, like, a CNN, like, runner underneath. And it feels very comfortable like a, to us to read. Yeah, sure. as kind of, like, a weird affectation, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like maybe ultimately this is a fantasy story, but it's just presented with modern trappings as, like, almost a stylistic approach. I, I just, I don't know. Something about it put me off that I can't quite put my finger on, and it's like, I, I normally love this kind of mm. world, where it's mm -hmm. like, it's it's medieval, but, but I just wish it wasn't so close to the traditional medieval. I think mm. that's what bothers me the most. It's like, if you're going to change just this one thing, like, if it's going to be a blend of fantasy and... Uh, high tech. I'd rather it be a more generic type of fantasy, maybe. Mm. I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't quite put my finger on what's bothering me about it. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely very arbitrary. Like, I mean, he's Ballister has a big, like, pr like a big TV screen at his headquarters where he's watching newscasts. But like, if anyone ever like gets in a fight with a guard, they're gonna have swords. There's like no <laughs> guns. 
Well, they didn't. Then, then they do use guns. But then later, but they're la- the laser, laser guns. guns. Yeah. yeah, they like skipped a bunch of steps. But you there. don't have you don't have guns with bullets. You're gonna have a sword, or you're gonna have a laser gun. So yeah. I guess what what bugs me is I understand the why of the technology, but I don't understand the why of the fantasy. Mm, okay. Maybe if magic had a bigger role, but then you have Nimona. But everyone seems really confused about Nimona. Like they they keep trying to get some kind of scientific explanation for how she works. Mm. But then like, why are you doing all this medieval stuff in the first place if magic isn't real? I don't get <laughs> it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't disagree. But I. I I think I was just so invested in the characters by that point that I just ignored that and kept going. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I liked it. This is def- <laughs> I would say this is definitely a character-driven story mm-hmm. and not a world-driven story or even like a narrative-driven story. Yeah. It's like a character-driven story. Yeah, for sure. For sure. My yeah. favorite kind of story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it did really draw me in. Like, like I said, when it started to become a book and I started becoming less concerned about that kind of thing, it definitely kept me going. The yeah. character stuff was really engrossing and uh, fun to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only care about sci-fi or fantasy when it is character-driven. <laughs> I don't care about any of the other stuff. Right. Yeah. So this is, like, tailored towards me as a reader. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like um, I really like fantasy as a genre, but I often don't like fantasy stories, specifically because the character writing is often not good. Mm-hmm. And so if the one thing this book has in spades is character... Uh, then that's what I want. I'm quite happy to have that. Yeah. I, I, I also will say that I, I kind of appreciated the way it was subverting the fantasy villain narrative, because when Nimona first approaches Blackheart, you get this impression that this is a world where, like, that wily Blackheart, he, you never know what he's going to do, he's always got his schemes... And that, like, it's a very episodic world where, like, you know, every week Blackheart tries to steal some gold or blow up a tower and Golden Loin comes in and saves the day. And this is the way the world has been until Nimona shows up. And Nimona is this shapeshifter who actually allows Blackheart to be successful at his, uh, his schemes that were, I guess, previously being, like, stopped. And, um, and then suddenly... As he's becoming successful, you also start to find out more about the kingdom and the Institute, and suddenly you get this impression that, well, actually, the Institute's not actually very good, because, like, after the initial caper, the next thing that comes up is uh, Blackheart wants to prove that the Institute's been stockpiling this dangerous material that has been banned in the kingdom. And then, to do that, they start poisoning random apples at the market so that uh, the villagers will start to get sick and this will start to raise questions about the uh, presence of this substance in the kingdom. And it's it's this really deep, like, plot, right? Like, uh, uh, this is like a, like a really intense, like, supervillain, not even a super, like, this is an intense, like, approach to this problem. Like, we're not going to try to break in, we're going to, like, start we're going to manifest, like, a crisis so that the Institute has to react and, like, answer questions. Like, so they're poisoning people to, like, draw attention to this problem and and ultimately, like, the Institute is not doing good and it's not sympathetic. And it's like, you know, you're, you're now halfway through the story and suddenly it's like, well, Blackheart is actually a much more sympathetic character. And in a lot of ways, I think that I mean, I think you could you could make the argument that the story is a little bit maybe simplistic because I think ultimately it kind of turns into a like us against the world. Like there's the two of us, and then there's like the man. Like, mm-hmm. the, and the, 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 the Institute is like really 
blanket kind of evil. When yeah. when it's funny because Blackguard was the one you were supposed to assume is blanket evil and became much more sympathetic. But then the Institute kind of took over that role of being blanket mm. evil, yeah. which is what I meant. Where it's like it's never explained right. what the Institute is doing and why are they are in this position of control. That that woman goblin character is like <laughs> totally totally not explained at all. Very little depth to her character, mm. uh, which. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I think it's yeah. fine. It was one of the question marks that left me hanging at the end. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, and I think that's that's a valid observation. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, I would then also say, like, but then, like, the whole thing with Nimona uh, sucked me in, and so sure. then I just saw it through to the end. But it is, like, if you're hoping to find out what the Institute's all about, you're never going to find that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe if you're a world-building nerd, it's not the right book for you. <laughs> Unless you want a break from that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I do like, though, that Golden Loin... Because there's a certain point where we figured out that um, Blackheart is not necessarily a quote-unquote bad guy, uh, and that he's really trying to help the people of this kingdom. Uh, and at that point, it feels like the obvious thing to do is to have Golden Loin as the villain, mm. because he's the quote-unquote good guy, so he must be the opposite of that. But no, he's actually also just trying to muddle through in di- difficult circumstances not always making good decisions, but really doesn't want to do badly by the people of the kingdom. Mm. Uh, and I liked that a lot. Like, his character I, is not... It's not a, a trope or a stereotype. <laughs> it doesn't match any other character that I can think of that I've read before. Yeah, Golden Loon was definitely a really interesting character to yeah. see how he reacted to the different situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. There's... Um there's an, a romance, essentially, between Blackheart and Golden Loin, which mm-hmm. I was not 100% surprised when it came up, but it was, like, kind of... Uh, I think it was handled really well. And I also like that um, the two of them both remember the joust. They remember that the outcome was that Blackheart lost his arm in the joust, but both of them have completely different memories of how all that happened, that Blackheart sees it as... Golden Loin just being jealous and petty and 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 shooting him intentionally, where Golden Loin just sees it as this horrible accident that he wishes he could go back and, and change. And and in a lot of ways, it's like you know he he's maybe holding back on catching Blackheart because of all this guilt he has for mm. for taking away his arm and taking away his opportunity to be a hero for the kingdom. And that's never really resolved either. We we only ever see there are two sides of the story. We never find a true version of that story. Mm-hmm. So we just have to uh, like the characters. We need just need to move on from there. Yeah. And then uh, in in relation to uh, science and this world, the uh, the character uh, Meredith. Was it Meredith uh, Blitzmeyer? I liked her a lot. (laughs) She was like one of my favorite side characters in this. I love how she blase she is about everything. (laughs) She's like, oh, did did you notice the fire out there? She's like, yeah, well, it's probably time to make tea. (laughs) My heart's like, probably not. It's probably really bad. Yeah. He's like, I need to borrow your life, your uh, your glowy thing, and she's like, you mean my life's work, my only prototype? <laughs> sure, whatever. Yeah. And then it breaks, and she's like, well, I can build another one. I think it's okay. <laughs> but of course, like she has to go along. It's it's her prototype, it's right? True. She can't yeah. just give it to someone and walk away. Yeah. Uh, I also really liked the character of Nimona, like her arc. Uh, there's a point early on the, in the story where you're told her backstory. And at that point, I kind of just said, okay, this is her backstory. Hmm. And the story moves on from there. But then later on, it turns out none of that 
is necessarily true. Yeah. And when we never find out what her actual origin is. Yeah. Or whether, you know, she... Well, we find out, like, a secondary version of that origin yeah. story, where there may have been a creature that then replaced a girl that had died. It's my interpretation of that mm-hmm. version of the backstory. But like yeah. you said, we don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't know if the girl, you know, developed these powers and was still the girl, or whether this monster replaced her. Mm-hmm. whatever, you know? We don't really have a good understanding of where this monster comes from, how long they've been around, you know, why mm-hmm. they wanted to become human and integrate into human society, what their objectives are, yeah. right? Yeah. They just kind of, well, they, they arrive and then they disappear at the end. Yeah, I, and I think it's it's well handled in the sense that, like, when Nimona first approaches Blackheart, um, they're going to do their first caper, and, like, immediately she just, like, murders a bunch of guards <laughs> and Blackheart is like what are you doing yeah. and she's like what we're supposed to do we're bad guys yeah. and like I think that's very telling where like the, the quote unquote bad guy in the story is now going to Nimona and just being shocked at the fact that she's just killing people yeah. and she's very comfortable with killing people and throughout the rest of the story it's initially handled as kind of a joke like oh that wacky Nimona she's yeah. gonna eat another guard um, but you know, progressively as the story kind of gets a little darker and a little more serious, like you know, the the fact that she is so comfortable with killing really becomes like a problem, and mm-hmm. and there becomes this question of like, is she a girl with special abilities or is she a monster pretending to be a girl? And and that really becomes kind of the crux of of the whole narrative. And yeah. I think that the way it leads you into that is really masterfully done. Also, the fact that uh, even though so much of the story hinges on whether or not she's human, whether or not she's a monster, like who, what, who or what is she, her personality is consistent. Mm-hmm. That's like true. that, her who she is at her core isn't dependent on whether she's a real human or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like her, like she's yeah. Her her motivations are very consistent. It's like she wanted to team up with Blackheart and have these capers and, it, and these adventures and, and help him, like, topple the kingdom and become... He, she wanted him to become king. Yeah, to become king. Which was never his motivation. Yeah. And it's like, and that's when they hit um, kind of a, a crossroads, so to speak, because, like, he is... She's like, well, come on, we just got to do this, and you're king. And he's like, I don't I don't want that, you know? And, and she gets really frustrated and angry because he's not kind of on board with her master plan, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I think, I think that, uh, you know, she, she's really well written as a character, and I will say, like, at at the kind of, I guess, the climax of the story, where she gets split into two pieces, and one part of her is this giant, just black monster of death, like, rampaging through the city, and she's talking about, um, you know, like, this is this is what I am, or, like, this is what I really am inside. Um, I don't know. I think that was just really well handled. It sort of almost felt like a metaphor. Like, it's... I think a lot of people feel that way. They feel like they're not good enough, or they feel like they're... I don't know. A lot of people, like, they cast themselves as the villain in their own life story, you know? And I I think that Mm, um, the dialogue in that was so well handled, where you really... I don't know. It it was... I almost teared up a little bit. Just like that... Like, whether or not she's a monster who's been trying to be a human and and recognizing her failure, or she's, like, a human who's becoming monstrous, like, 
th that was really well handled. Like, uh, it was very poignant. And I think that if you go back and look through it, it's like that struggle that she's having, I think, is always kind of there, where she's like, you know, she wants to be uh, independent, and she's been hurt by people in her past, and she sort of has some trust issues, and but she also kind of wants to have fun and 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 play it being super villain. Like I don't know, it's it's really well really well presented. It's a really good c character study. Yeah, that scene where she splits into two is probably my favorite scene in the book. Uh, I thought the way that monster was drawn was really really beautiful and really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I enjoyed that scene a lot. Uh, what did you guys think of her uh, hair? changing throughout the story. I felt like that was supposed to be sort of indicative of like changes in her personality. I'm not sure. I kind of got a Ramona Flowers vibe for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where it's like her changing is constant to her. Right. Yeah. Obviously she changes all the time. So these little minor cosmetic changes are no big deal at all to her. Right. And so that kind of casual nature of like, what, I changed her hair, so who cares? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's character revealing, but the specifics of the changes aren't character revealing. Yeah. Mm. Right. So, Kathleen, what did you think? What I think? Oh, yeah. this book. Okay. <laughs> um, Do you care to elaborate? <laughs> no. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> this room is so warm. I'm being, like, lulled into like, it is a, a little warm room. nap mm -hmm. trance. Um, yeah, uh, this book is very powerful. Um, I kind of like the way... Um, Nimona gets to indulge in this rage throughout the book. Like, she's allowed to be angry about things um, in a way that I think sometimes um, female characters aren't allowed to be angry, and, like, anger is a valid emotion and a way to work through things, and it's not always presented as such um, mm. in fiction, so that's definitely something, like, I appreciated in this narrative, where, like, bad things have happened and she feels angry and people aren't telling her like you shouldn't be angry it's it's more like how can we help you not be angry anymore mm -hmm. and how can we help you like move forward and be happy and find a place of belonging as opposed to just like no calm down like don't be angry mm -hmm. anymore it's yeah, like, yeah 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 it's yeah. more like maybe don't murder people but the anger part that's fine yeah like yeah, <laughs> yeah find a way to to <laughs> not be so destructive um, as a result of your feelings, but you can still have those feelings. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was really powerful to me in this book. Yeah, no one ever questions the validity of her feelings. Yeah. Um, like, even though we don't really know her backstory, it's probably something tragic. It's some version of the events that we've heard. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and so, yeah, like, she, she has grounds for being upset at the world. The yeah. world has not done well by her. Yeah. I, I also just really appreciated how, I mean... Ballister Blackheart really becomes almost kind of a like a like a foster father for her. Like he really takes on the responsibility of of caring for her. Like early on, he you know he's puts his cape over her when she falls asleep, and he's like uh, you know trying to kind of be like a mentor and be like maybe maybe you shouldn't kill people, maybe you should <laughs> like you know. And then when at the end when 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 at the, again, at the climax of the story, um, the easiest solution would be to just kill the monster, kill the little girl, and, and then problem solved, right? Get rid of Nimona and mm -hmm. problem solved. And he's not willing to accept that. He wants to talk her down. And, and he really goes back intentionally. Make her whole. Yeah. He puts himself in danger 
And and I think the big thing is he wants to talk her down. He doesn't want to shoot her, or fight her. He wants to like actually get to the root of the problem. And he's sort of approaching it like, "Hey, I know some bad things have happened. I know I've let you down in some regards. I know that you've been treated badly by other people, but like, please just try to calm down and let's try to figure something out that doesn't involve you destroying the city." There's like a nice <laughs> moment where um, I can't remember where in the book it happens, but like he goes back for Nimona when she's trapped inside the thing. He's like, she's going to think I abandoned yeah, her. That was, yeah, like, yeah. that was, that was really, um, and she is nice surprised moment. when he comes back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way that the characters like care about each other mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. is so powerful. Like, I feel like a lot of other fantasy stories, especially fantasy stories that exist to subvert tropes. Hmm. Um, I think they rely on a kind of, sarcastic storytelling where if another writer were writing this story at the point where Nimona becomes this unstoppable monster, uh, that will be the point where the quote-unquote villain character who's actually the hero would then just kill her. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, bad things happen, the world is awful, the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Where, no, like, in this story, he can't not care about her. That's He wouldn't be much of a character otherwise. Yeah. And I think that is really useful. I yeah, like that. It's, it's really good that... Um, Noel Stevenson didn't go the George R. R. Martin That's route. That's who I was subtweeting <laughs> there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like as as sort of like kind of suffers from that as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. A lot of writers do. This is why this is why this is so refreshing to have mm-hmm. it turn out this way. Mm-hmm. And like as emotional as this book is, it's also really funny. Like yes. I mm-hmm. really enjoy a lot of the moments of humor and some of just like the subtle things of like weird facial expressions. Like, there's one point where Nimona is in cat form, and she gets stuck in cat form, and Ballister's <laughs> holding her, and her head just sort of, like, retracts, and she's hissing, and it's, like, this beautiful cat moment that's so <laughs> funny. And I think, like, at one point she says something about, rude about science, and Ballister's like, there's no need to say hurtful things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just, like, these, like, little moments of humor I, scattered throughout. Oh, yeah. Or, Oh, there's one where, like, there's going to be an explosion or something, and Nimona's uh, inside, and Golden Loin says, oh, she'll turn into a turtle and, like, survive it, and Bal's just like, what do you, what do you think turtles do? Like, <laughs> how does that, <laughs> how does that want to follow the other? Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, I liked uh, when they played board games together, too. Oh, that, that was, was, like, a nice That was scene. cute. I liked apologies. <laughs> like, <laughs> I definitely got a Wolverine Kitty Pride vibe from these mm. characters. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Uh, no, and I, I mean, and again, I, I think it um, it ended on on a pretty hopeful note too. Like I think that, um, but still melancholy, right? Yeah. Like uh, they've all survived. They're they're probably fine, but they're they're not any more okay than they were before, yeah, necessarily. Yeah, there wasn't a resolution. There wasn't, like, things didn't tie up nicely. Well, they didn't... Like, I mean, there is a resolution, but it's very open-ended. Right. Yes. Which I love. Yeah. Like, I have such a huge well, soft spot for non-endings. I, um, <laughs> which always pisses people off. They're like, oh, yeah, I love that. Didn't end for <laughs> <Yeah>. real. <laughs> uh, endings are hard, and I think that leaving things a little more open for the reader to decide is a good approach. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I felt like... I think that Ballister and Golden Loin had a real arc in this story. I think that, you know, they went from being good friends to being enemies, and I think at the end of this story, they're back to being friends again. And so I think that there is some 
more than friends, most likely. <laughs> um, uh, did you see the way? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty. Sorry. It's sorry. pretty canon. Though. Sorry, sorry. Uh, OTP is I wasn't. Canon. I wasn't <laughs> meaning. Sorry, I wasn't meaning to underplay that. Uh, the romance apologies. was always there. They the just didn't like each other there. for a while. They, sorry, they went from being. Fighting. I should revise myself. They went from being lovers to being enemies to being lovers again, and I think that that was like a nice arc. And I think that there was some change and growth, and I think that was that was well handled. Yeah. You could almost interpret this story as the story of Blackheart and Golden Loin, and Nimona is only there as the catalyst. Yeah, it's true. It's true. In a lot of ways, that is very much what's going on. And and again, like I think that that relationship was really well handled. Like I, I actually really thought it was telling that at one point the institute goes to Golden Loin, and they're like, "We need you to uh, kill this kid," and he's like, oh, "I don't want to kill a kid," and they're like, "Well, then kill." Ballister, and he's like, "Oh, I can't kill Ballister." Like, well, you got to kill one or the other. So he's like, "I guess I'm killing a kid," yeah. <laughs> and then he can't even succeed at that. And so they're like, "Well, you have to kill Ballister now." And then he's like, "I quit." And so like he loses his standing because he just will not turn on Ballister. He will not kill Ballister. Yeah, and he sacrifices everything. And there's that great scene where later. Ballister's imprisoned and Golden Loin's the guard. And he's like, what are you doing being a guard? Aren't you like the big shot hero? He's like, well, not anymore. I lost my <laughs> job because I wouldn't kill you. Like, I think that was great. Like, yeah. Feels like a, a good depiction of two types of heroes. Mm. Where you have, uh, in a sense, Blackheart is kind of the pure hero where he can just decide this is the way it should be. I don't have to listen to other people. I'm going to stick to my guns and I'm going to say this is right, this is wrong. Here's the path forward. Where his golden loin is, he's more sort of the stereotypical hero, but he, the only way that he can be the uh, the hero of the kingdom is to really have to make compromises constantly. Mm. Uh, and eventually that's too much for him, and he has to make a choice. But he's been making complicated compromises throughout all the backstory leading up to that. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's that's an interesting observation, too, because, like, um, in a way, that sort of says that, you know, Ballister is, uh, by being the villain, by being outside of the system, has the freedom to do what needs to be done that's right. Whereas Goldenloin, because he's part of the system, and he's kind of got his hands tied because he has rules and protocols to follow, where... Ballister can just do what he feels is right. And Although, sometimes it's with the law, and sometimes it's against the law. Ballister does seem to uh, live his life by those strict, those same strict rules. Mm. Like he, he very early on says, like, oh, they're not their rules, they're my rules, mm. but I live by them very strictly. Right. That's true. He takes his villainy very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that neither of those paths is necessarily painted as being better than the other. Mm. They're just Absolutely. different paths. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ballister is by no means, like, a perfect paragon either. Like, they <laughs> both have their flaws, and they both have their, you know, their positives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, like, I think the, the key here is is the characters and the character studies. And, um, yeah, much like Kathleen, I think if you have some really well-realized characters, you're going to sucker me in. And I think that that, that really shined through in this. And that kept me just... I think I read, yeah, This I just couldn't put this down. I think I read this in, like, maybe a day or, like, two days because I just had to, like, get get to the end. Um, I really wanted to see what happened to Nimona and everyone. Yeah, it was a really good, really good recommendation. I really enjoyed this one. I'm not sure what else to say. 
Like, I, when I was reading the end of this story, I was uh, in a restaurant at the time. I had a hard time not tearing up in public. Oh, John. <laughs> oh, man, that's so embarrassing when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you just never feel things ever, and then you won't have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we maybe talk about things that you didn't like? Because I have a couple things I wanted to say. I have a couple things. Okay. So, I mean, uh, one of the things, just layout-wise, that kept bothering me is there's this tendency to have the first panel larger than the others for what seems to be an arbitrary reason. And I have an example here. Like here at the beginning of Chapter 6 on page 53, for example. Like that page is an establishing shot, but it breaks the layout in a way. Oh, yeah. And, mm. and it happens a few times. Oh, yeah. I'm on in a way that I don't does it. understand. <laughs> so I really love that. However, I feel like a lot of the panel-to-panel -panel transitions are really excellent. Like, then on page 147 is the next screen cap that I have. I thought it was, I thought I was paging through the book, but I'm paging through my screen caps. So there's a lot of really beautiful transitions that sh leverage the power of comics to show how she's transforming from one beast mm -hmm. to another mm -hmm. between yeah. panels, and there's even a fox jumping from one panel into the next, like, breaking that, that barrier to show how fluidly she can change from one animal to another. So mm -hmm. there's some innovative layouts and some innovations that I didn't think worked, let's say. Like, I found the, uh, especially in at the beginning, the lettering is tiny. Yeah, there's a couple parts where, like, the the lettering is too small. Like, it, at the beginning for sure, and then it gets better, and then there's somewhere else where it just gets, like, kind of tiny again. Mm -hmm. And it just... Maybe wish, like, if when it was going to print, like, going back and making the lettering bigger on those pages. Because, I mean, you can go pretty tiny with print lettering, but it's just, like, it's pretty small. I will tell you, it really impacted me on the digital edition. It made it very hard to read. I mean, I'm, I'm blind as bat, sure. But, mm -hmm. uh, no, no, on digital stuff, <laughs> you have to letter big. Yeah. Like, yeah. you uh, have to. But the Kindle edition, we were discussing this a little bit. So the Kindle edition of this book puts an unnecessary amount of white space around it, and that mm -hmm. compounds the issue with the fact that the art is very intricate and the lettering is very tight, and so every pixel really matters, especially with something like lettering. Yeah. And uh, the other side effect is that the Kindle didn't clip the bleeds properly. No. So there's there's like an it feels like an inch of white space around the entire work on the Kindle edition, which is so unnecessary and not it, it well, cuts you out of the immersion that I feel like the art was intended to have. We have we have even though you and me both have iPads with Kindle, yeah. we have slightly different versions of the story because so I'm getting strange. like uh, an in, a half inch of the next page visible on each each side. Yeah, but yours bleeds. So it's weird because Jeff's edition here which is also the Kindle on the iPad, <laughs> yeah. is really funny. Like, his actually bleeds properly off the edge, but then, as he's saying, like, half of the next page is also on his field of view, which should not happen at yeah, all. Yeah, I'd rather just have that. Whereas mine is, like, the bleed just fails completely, right? It has extra <laughs> gutter white space, which shouldn't be there. So the Kindle edition is... Uh, which, there's really no excuse for something that was pretty obviously created digitally, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. this is a modern book with yeah. the, what should be a professional. Who who published this? This is Harper Collins. Harper, get yeah. it together, man. <laughs> well, like, I mean, not just Harper, but I would say um, Kindle, because uh, <laughs> in my experience so far with the Trade Waiters, I've read many of the books on Comixology, yeah. and I've read some of them that I couldn't get on Comixology on the Kindle app. And I've never been impressed with books on the Kindle app. It's true. You had such huge problems with the, uh, 
uh, what was it? The the book that I read. The, 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 the two, two generals. generals the two yeah. generals was horrific. Yeah. Uh, one this one summer was rendered in black instead of blue for no reason. Yeah. Like what did they run out of the color blue in digital edition? Yeah. Like get come on. I guess it costs more money to <laughs> yeah. use all of our G. I use like the Kindle app on my phone for some of these because it's easier to find the book that way. And like even there, like between from book to book, it's like arbitrary on whether or not I can zoom in or like because I read Astro Boy on that and I could zoom in mm-hmm. on it. And then I'm reading um, the Finder collection on it and I have to like double tap to enlarge one panel and then I can flip through the panels but even doing that it only enlarges it on like part of the screen so it's just like ugh, design your app better <laughs> this, is, I mean, look, I, this is the thing like uh, like I don't know maybe there's copyright issues but like what Kindle needs to do is look at Comixology and just do what they're doing because the Comixology, you either look at the whole page or you do the guided view where it zooms in to each panel. And you can pinch zoom perfectly on Comixology. Yeah. Comixology actually is, for digital books, they've been doing a lot better. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd say if you're trying to model, if you're looking for a good model for presenting comics digitally, do what Comixology's doing. They've got it figured out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kathleen might probably knows Noel's career better than I do. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if some of the problems with like the size of print and everything is uh, if this is because this is her first thing done in print, or at least this was done before she had done other things in print. Uh, yeah, this was, I think, like her first, like, This is her first graphic novel. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 um, I feel like that's a thing that, um, like, when you're starting out in comics, the only way to realize, oh, wait, I should be making my print, my type this big is to do it and print it out on paper and say, oh, now I know. Mm. Like, I don't, there's, it's, if you're working in a digital field, like, before you see it printed on paper, you don't really know how that's going to read. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the other problems that I have uh, with the plot, which, again, are kind of just personal pet peeves that probably don't detract from the work in a major way, I chalk up to inexperience. But I feel yeah. like... As All a, things being considered, like, this is a phenomenal first book. Yeah. Yeah. It is an oh, incredible, yeah. like, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm flabbergasted at how good this book is. Like, yeah. I think she has a, a deal to do two books with HarperCollins, and this was the first one, so I'm very, very excited yes. about, like, the future work that oh, she is going to do. Because, like, I've read Lumberjanes, and I enjoy Lumberjanes, but, like, her work where she's writing it and she's drawing it is, like, so good, and yeah. I can't wait to see more. I like this better than Lumberjanes. Oh, yeah. Um, Lumberjanes, like, suffers. Like, I like Lumberjanes, but I have issues with um, comics that appear in a serialized format in print yeah. and floppies because the pacing is just not good. Mm. Like, it's, <laughs> it's really fast-paced because they just don't have enough space. You've, yeah. got me, you've got me curious, though, to read, like, her doing Runaways because I enjoyed the first Runaways that came out. Mm-hmm. And I, would be, I know what the concept of Runaways is, so I'd be very curious to see her take on that comic hmm. series. Yeah. Be a I good fit, actually. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing, I think, is that um, the hardest part to learn of making a comic is how to make a good story. And she's got an amazing story. Yeah. All these other things, like page layout and panel to panel stuff and the size of lettering, that's all mechanical. Like, that's easy to learn by practice. But if you've got good stories right from the start, you're going to have a huge long-term career out of that. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also just going to say that I think um, recently I read an article that came out with an interview f- um, with her where she was just encouraging people to get out and make comics. Like, she was, she's, I, my impression is that she's very just 
pro comic making and just really into uplifting the entire kind of medium, uh, which I always love with creators when they really just try to represent and, and say, hey, you could do this too. Pick mm-hmm. up your pen and make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think uh, we would all recommend that you read Nimona. Yeah, definitely. Check it out. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to be the first book in a long career that's only going to get better and better. Yeah. And I'm stoked. It's a work with tremendous emotional resonance. The art is beautiful. We didn't even speak to the art very much. Yeah. But I I love the art in this book. I love the... I always love seeing, like, a journey of an artist yeah. from, like, where they start and where they end. And, like, it's it's just phenomenal. And it, it's pretty unique. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, a lot of people have picked up on the fact that this is kind of a rebound. Uh, take Someone who takes inspiration from Kate Beaton. And mm. uh, a lot of, I've been seeing a lot of articles on the internet where... Kate Beaton started a generation of her cartoonists, and of which uh, Noelle Stevenson might be the first. I think she does a great job of distinguishing herself from Kate's oh, style. Yeah, yeah like I didn't even think about Kate Beaton when I was reading this. Well, I, it's got a lot of distinctiveness it, in the hands and the gestures. Yeah. Which I, I think is... Uh, it's not so much that it's similar to what Kate Beaton does, it's just that the way that both of them are doing it is so different from everything else. It's see, of the Kate Beaton school. See, I, sure. <laughs> I, w- I would agree with that. When, yes. when I said it felt like Kate Beaton, I was actually more originally talking about the pacing and the humor. Because mm, mm-hmm. I'd say the first page... Uh, if you had shown me that first page and said, like, Kate Beaton's doing fantasy humor now, I'd be like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you could you could plausibly buy it based yeah. on the style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, anyway, the coloring in it is oh, I was gonna really say, mature, yeah. really, really good. Oh, gosh. Such nice colors. Like, I was even, at one point, like, a few minutes ago, I was looking to see, okay, did Noelle Stevenson color this, or was it someone else? But no, she colored this. Wow. This is oh. okay. yeah. so nice. I'm really impressed. Yeah. Yeah, like all that plus coloring. Gosh. <laughs> Man. Well, Force to reckon with. I'm quitting comics. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, we all quit. Just read Noelle's work. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think I can somehow convince her to write and draw my comics for me? I don't think so. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm going to have to keep, I, I'm going to have to stay look, in comics She's inside. not going to be it sounds like It sounds like she's a little, she's a little busy right now, John. Yeah. Are yeah. you going to, can you pay more than no, Marvel? No. If you can pay more than Marvel, maybe. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to make my own comics still, sorry. It won't be as good as Noelle Stevenson, but I'm going to make them anyways. That's right, and that's, I think that's what she would want. That's the tagline you need to now add to your website is... Not uh, quite as good as Noelle Stevenson. Not quite as good as Noelle Stevenson, Jonathan Dalton Comics. <laughs> but I'm making them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, like, I, I would recommend this to anyone. Pretty much anyone, yeah. Anyone and everyone, yeah. All right, so yeah, pick up Nimona. It's mm-hmm. a good read. Oh, uh, no, we got one big shout-out. Okay, yeah. Last Night at Wormwood High, by the time this podcast is released, will be available to buy. Uh, so you should check out that book. Yeah, that's it'll, my it'll book. It will be on the Cloudscape website, I'm imagining, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you go to cloudscapecomics.com, uh, it'll be on our store. And otherwise, if you're at the uh, Emerald City Comic Con in March, uh, you can get your copy there. Or, if you're in the Toronto area... Oh, yeah, TCAF. TCAF. And BANCAF in Vancouver. I guess if you feel like coming to Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? Like, don't don't live here. The rent is crazy. Oh, my God. Visit don't for sure. Here. <laughs> Come here for BANCAF and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> visit briefly, because it's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. What can I shout out? 
Uh, I haven't had a lot. I, I haven't had a lot of time to read comics lately, but I have been meaning to shout out "As the Crow Flies" oh by Melanie Gilman. God, uh, it's a it's a web comic. It's uh, all colored with pencil crayons, which you would wow. think pencil crayons. How could that possibly work? It works. Nice. Um, it's a it's about uh, queer kids at Christian camp. Whoa. <laughs> Um, What's it called again? As the crow flies, it's oh, it's so good. Um, like I regret the last time I was at TCAF not buying everything on their table, <laughs> and I will never repeat that mistake when I'm at. <laughs> sorry, drop my phone. Um, <laughs> at a classic Kathleen. <laughs> I will never repeat that mistake because their work is, like, so powerful. Sorry, not to jump on your recommendation, yeah, no, but yeah. they are, like, one of the best cartoonists, I think, working today. Like, their work is amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know it. I will have to check it out. Oh, my God, too. Oh, <laughs> um, oh uh, uh, by the way, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and you can <laughs> find my work at uh, lostcitycomics.com, which... There'll be stuff there eventually, I guess. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I'm Angela Mullick. My work is at WastedTalent.ca and Out of Hiatus and Updating Again. Yay! Yay. Any uh, shout-outs? No, I haven't been reading anything. Okay. I'm just, uh, nothing that's not Undertale. <laughs> Hashtag relatable. Yeah. Um... Well, I'll, I'll do two shout-outs then. Okay, that's my uh, guy. I'm monopolizing. I'm Jeff Ellis. So you can find my work what at... What a... Oh, what a dude. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Ouch. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, hard to clean assuming, assuming I haven't uh, jumped off a bridge after this podcast, <laughs> uh, you can so find my work Check at jeff-ellis.ca. Uh, there will hopefully be some new pages there. But uh, today I sent some files off to the printer for a book that will probably be available um when this podcast launches, which is Una the Blade, uh, which was successfully fundraised, uh, we were mentioning the Kickstarter in a previous episode that made uh, a lot of money. You guys are awesome. And so that will, book will be available at the Cloudscape store. Uh, and also I will be selling it at Emerald City, TCAF, and VanCAF. Rad. Uh, so you should pick up Una the Blade from me. And you know, I'll save my next one for next uh, episode, actually. Okay. Yeah, good. Do you do you, you didn't do, you jumped on Jonathan's, but you didn't give one. So do you have one you want to give? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just getting to that, Jeffrey Ellis. Um, my name is Kathleen Gross, and uh, <laughs> stop it. I feel like you're becoming a stereotype of yourself. <laughs> this is so rude. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, uh, you can find my work at um, cagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X. Um, and I'm going to be at TCAF and VinCAF uh, in, the, in the coming year with some new comics that are totally new. Um, and I'm going to recommend, I read this webcomic a while ago, and I've just been going back to reread it. It's called Buying Time, um, and the creator's name is escaping me, but it's one of the only comics that incorporates like animation and motion that is actually good. Um, nice. And, like, uses it really well, and it's this cute little gay sci-fi comic about a society where you have to sort of pay for every social interaction, and about these two men falling in love. It's Aww. cute and innovative, so that's my recommendation. Okay, so what's our next book going to be? Oh, well, we're trying something a little different on the Trade Waiters. We're doing an entire series... 
So we're going to be uh, reading Alias by Brian Michael Bendis, which is the uh, graphic novel that inspired the Netflix series, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. So we're going to cover Volume 1 uh, next episode, and then the following episode will be Volumes 2 and 3. Okay, so get those books and read them by two weeks from now. Yeah, Alias 1, 2, and 3. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at cloudscapecomics.com and tradewaiters.tumblr.com and SoundCloud. Yeah, I don't know our SoundCloud address, but we have an address on SoundCloud. Google SoundCloud and Trade Waiters. (laughs) Yeah. We'll put some hyperlinks on the (laughs) the website. We've got Tumblr. Tumblr's good. Tumblr has pictures on it. If you go to our Tumblr, you can see... Uh, examples of pages from this medium that has no sound in it that we are doing an exclusively audio uh, (laughs) presentation of. (laughs) Some interesting choices were made. (laughs) (laughs) But that's fine. I'm fine with this. Okay. This is all fine. All right. See you guys (laughs) next episode. I swear to God we're (laughs) fine.